Well, if you haven't heard, on Tuesday there was an election and the results were pretty brutal and a lot of people are still recovering from them. Sheila and I thought it was important to record a quick special episode and get it up as soon as possible. So if you're seeking a way to take action, you'd have some steps. So here we go. If you're going to talk about a revolutionary situation, you have to have people who are physically able to wage revolution, who are physically able to organize. Hey, Nina. So, um, I thought we should uh, maybe uh, <laughs> debrief on what happened on Tuesday. Yeah, I don't really want to talk about the results because as many of our friends know, I sobbed for three hours after hearing the results. So, don't need to revisit that. But I think that we can use this opportunity to provide like ways to build and ways to not feel so helpless. Yeah, I think the really critical part is what are we going to do moving forward and what can we do to leverage this kind of, there's this fervor that a lot of people we know are experiencing and how do we channel it over the next four years? And I just want to say not even over just the next four years, but specifically over the next two years until 2018 when we have midterms. Yep. Like just for context, This is a special moment. In 2008, we elected President Obama. In 2010, the Democrats received a giant whooping congressionally. We lost a lot of races in 2010 because the people who turned out in 2008 did not show up to the polls in 2010. And I think, I don't know, what do you think, Sheila? I personally think we're in a similar juncture where, like, if we can maintain what we're feeling now, 2018 could be a time where we can at least make some progress in the Senate and the House. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, absolutely. And I think that the, um, so first of all, we'll be building off the 50-state strategy that Howard Dean introduced in 2004, uh, which will be really useful, even if he's not DNC chair and if it's uh, Representative Keith Ellison, who I'm also a really big fan of. Uh, second of all, we understand the strategy of working uh, at the state level, too. So not only are we going to start introducing strong candidates at the top, but strong candidates at the bottom. Um, and I think that something that we saw with this election was women of color slayed. Women of color were elected um, and were able to flip some seats. So I think that will be a major uh, advantage that we have and also restructuring the type of communications that Democrats and progressives do moving forward. For if, if we have a listener, let's say, who's interested in getting more involved in political organizing over the next four years, how would you recommend they tap into, tap into that? Uh, when you say political organizing, do you mean for campaigns or do you mean uh, community organizing for causes? Both are important, but I meant political campaigns. Okay, yes. So I think, honestly, one of the best ways to do that is... Um, I, the way I started doing it was I had friends who were already involved, and that's a really simple way. If you know somebody, even like an acquaintance, who you know worked on campaigns this year, get in touch with them and say, what is the best way for me to start getting involved now, whether it's going to meetings or whether it is like um, like going to events. Like That's how you start building up a network, and that's how you get asked to do things like Canvas or phone bank or even like be a part of a, the management side of a team. 
um, I would recommend if you're interested in running for office, uh, start doing that now, like getting your networks in place and also reaching out to people who you respect who are currently in office to help you help lead the way and pave the way for you to make the financial network uh, contacts you need and the political contacts that you'll need to make a successful run. I think we, we also both agree that over the, like a key thing will be talking to people. And I think that comes through through the advice that you mentioned. So I would just advise anyone who's interested in getting more involved in local politics to start actually reading more about the events and like the issues that are occurring in your area. Like local news coverage may not always be the sexiest, but it's sometimes the most important. And so, for sure, yeah, participating in like going to school board meetings, city council meetings, reading the news and just like making that a part of your habit, like your daily habit of like media consumption um, can go a long way in terms of when you talk to other people, because if you get involved in political campaign, you need to be educated on the topics you're talking about with people. Absolutely, and I think that um, if you're in a state with a Progress Now affiliate, mm-hmm. um, there may, one of those uh, other affiliates may have a news clipping like Progress Missouri does. So we have the High Five at Five, which are uh, five news topics, and we link to sources throughout the state. Um, to, and we just that's a way of educating our people. Like this is what's happening. Like for instance, today, in today's High Five, we had uh, that Tony Tucker who pushed through, uh, who's house sponsor of the photo ID amendment who left after, uh, before session started, so he would be exempt from the six months revolving door ban, got a job as a lobbyist. We had the uh, super majority uh, leadership shakeup. We had the super minority put a lot of women in leaders of positions of power. Like, those are the news stories that we decided to highlight. Um, and those, I think, are really important for people who aren't familiar with statewide politics. And we do link to a lot of local stuff, too. Um, so progress now, really, they're good. Also, yeah, like... Find a strong local media outlet and start reading up. Um, nothing is, in my opinion, more frustrating than when you're canvassing as an individual and don't know what you're talking about and can't make a convincing case for why your candidate or your cause is worthwhile or is important to the person whose door you're knocking. And also, frankly speaking, in the last couple of days, I've seen a lot of people have good questions and pose those good questions to other people. But the thing is, quite plainly, if it's a campaign topic or a political issue that affects people of color specifically or some other marginalized community, it's not our job to educate you. There's certain things, even if it is a good question, that can be easily answered by Google. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Use the Google. And um, just to, like, I was reading one of my favorite artist Austin Kleon a little bit earlier today and he writes in terms of art but also applicable for anything else is that ask a question but before you even ask that question google about it and then track down all of those citations and read those and then go through the citations and read even more and then use that to make an even better question than the one you started with and so that's also really applicable. Mm-hmm. So that's getting involved with like political organizing in terms of getting involved in a campaign. But we all also both care about political organizing in terms of around an issue or a topic. 
um, or a cause. Do you have any tips on that front, Sheila? Yeah, for sure. Like, there are so many organizations in every state um, that do a lot of issue-based campaigning. Um, so whether that's in the environment or labor or women's rights or LGBTQ rights or uh, general progressive causes or tax policy or the budget, like there's going to be an organization out there for you. So find them. Google like New Hampshire Tea Party budget restrictions or like uh, Nebraska uh, agriculture uh, pollution. Like mm-hmm. these organizations will pop up, mm-hmm. and if you reach, email them, reach out to them. Um, I might have to do it a couple times because they may not be great about checking their emails, but make sure that they know who you are and try to set up a meeting to see what you can help them with or like how they can use your labor or time. Um, and that's how you really get to know an issue or get to know the politics around an issue. Yeah, and meetings, in-person meetings in particular, like face-to-face are a good way to indicate that you're really serious about helping out. Because there's unfortunately a lot of people who want to help out, but then their actions don't always back up their words. So if you're one of those people who really do want to get physically involved in a campaign, around a specific cause or issue, um, face-to-face, setting up those face-to-face conversations, like Sheila said, could be really helpful. Jezebel and a couple other places had a really nice roundup of kind of like national organizations that around specific issues that you could donate to. Another thing that we can do in this kind of like political campaign aftermath is offer some financial love to topics we care about. Um, organizations that already have structures on the ground that are in place. So remember, I think it's really important to remember that like it's arrogant to say that we are angry and we are going to start something new and completely ignore all the work that has been doing on the grassroots level um, for the last several years and decades. You know, people have been mad and angry and organizing for a long time. So either feed financially into those organizations or get involved yourself. Yeah, and on top of that, um, something I think is really important and really kind of brings organizing to a new level is if you're, like, in your mid-20s and you have a community that you're already involved with, bring them into the fold. So um, bring your faith group into the fold or your, like, social group into it. And make it something that isn't just about you either. Um, So, for instance, something I think is really important is with uh, Hindu-Americans. Like, we do have a lot of money. And as soon as you bring your uncles and aunties into the political sphere, they feel acknowledged, they feel welcome, and they're more inclined to give money to your candidate or to your cause, which is less of a burden on you as a millennial or the professional or the college student. Um, and really, I think, equalizes the burden with like amongst everybody who's being impacted by this uh, upcoming regime. I will link to this article. It was published in 2014 on the Aerogram about the revolution starts with Maithati, combating anti-blackness in the South Asian community. The tips in that guide are also really good for talking about any sort of issue with aunties and uncles, um, because it's a great way to tackle difficult conversations with people who are older or of other backgrounds and things like that. One question I have for you, Sheila, is are there any local organizations in Missouri that you're planning on being more involved with over the you know, next several months or so? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm laughing only because uh, Progress Missouri, where I work, and like, that's who pays me, uh, is the Beacon, 
of not organizing but of progressive communication. And so uh, we do a lot of really great work with other uh, organizations that do more grassroots stuff. So if you are in Missouri, please reach out to me and I will connect you to the right people and the right organizations. Uh, but I think in the upcoming months, I'm going to be doing um, not as much, obviously not as much campaign work, um, but really prepping for session and getting a little bit more involved with Missouri's budget project as we lead up. Because um, Missouri has officially turned red and there are real budget concerns that I'll have to keep in mind while listening to policy debate. Um, other than that, I mean, neighborhood Planned Parenthood, Jobs to Justice, Community Creating Work, uh, Opportunity, Empower Missouri, all of our labor friends, um, they're all going to be um, on a high alert and like very stressed out by the upcoming legislative session. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So both of us have been donating to some organizations this week. You posted about ACLU. Can you tell me more? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the reason I became a sustaining member of the ACLU is um, not only do they have infrastructure nationally to combat um, federal-level policy or federal-level unconstitutional uh, actions, but they have infrastructure in each state. And they're also one of our partners. And um, I just think it's really important to financially back one of the largest the largest um, groups that defend the Constitution from essentially government overreach, um, especially what, what, what we might be seeing in the future. Um, I also hopefully plan on becoming a sustaining member of the Sierra Club, which, oddly enough, is one of the most intersectionally charged organizations that we see out there. Um, it doesn't necessarily trickle down to each chapter, but nationally they're really pushing, they do push an intersectional lens when looking at environmental policy. Um, and I also hope to become a sustaining member of my local radio station, uh, public radio station, uh, because in the next round of budget, um, we could see MCR cut or we could see those cuts being uh, impacting your local affiliates. Yeah, I think that's a really important one, like supporting news media. Um, someone else had us written about it is like things we can do or sustain is pay for our news. We don't always like to do that, and we think it should be like a public good, and in some ways it should. But if you really like it and you really can support it, like throwing a couple bucks a month to your radio station or like ProPublica or like another group that you think is doing good reporting, it goes a long, long way. For sure. And like, keep that in mind. It doesn't have to be that much. I'm going to give ACLU $10 a month because that's what I can budget right now. And that's, I'll probably keep that amount for the other stuff that I want to donate to. But literally every single dollar matters. Mm-hmm. So don't feel bad if you can only give like $5, like just on a one-time go. That's still something. That still matters. Yeah, I made a couple of one-time donations to um, some smaller nonprofits. One is Sister Song, which is a reprodu- reproductive justice collective based out of Atlanta. And they do a lot of really amazing work um, organizing uh, around uh, indigenous voices and voices of women of color, um, specifically around reproductive rights. Then another organization I donated to is the Sylvia Rivera Law Project, which is based in New York, but um, is accessible for a lot of uh, different trans, intersex, and gender nonconforming individuals across the country. Um, they, in addition to really investing in leadership capabilities of um, low-income 
trans individuals of color. They also uh, provide affordable legal services for these populations, which is super, super important right now. Like a lot of you may you guys may have been reading this in the news is like people are concerned about what it will take to get an ID and for and that's considered a gender affirming service. And there's been a hashtag that has kind of come out on on Twitter that I will that has been connecting trans individuals to lawyers and like other legal services. And so that's why the Sylvia Rivera Law Project is really important because we don't really know what the status of um, these kind of services and laws will be like during a Trump presidency. And also for that matter, like I've just been like a little particularly heartbroken because um, yeah, I'm working on a trans youth study right now as like part of, you know, my research. And then I had a friend reach out to me after election night asking, you know, if expressing her concern that her brother's, um, her trans brother's health insurance would be revoked um, in the future. And then also there's just, you've heard those reports of uh, trans youth committing suicide, right? Yeah. 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 It's just like all of that. Within the first 24 hours. Yeah. yeah, it's just like our kids are suffering because of this election. Um, I mean, there was all they were. <laughs> I mean, they're going to suffer. Like they already are with uh, people being bullied in schools, and the idea that the vice president elect is cool with conversion therapy, which literally kills half the kids that go through it, and that we're okay with getting rid of health care, which kills because people don't go to deal with preventative diseases. Exactly. Exactly. And it's already challenged as it is for trans youth and trans adults to access um, gender-affirming services um, and being treated respectfully within the, within the healthcare system. So, and then the other was the Sacred Stone Camp that's protesting um, the Keystone Pipeline because I'm deep. One, if anyone's read the first hundred day plan, it has a lot to do with like letting the pipeline continue over um, indigenous lands. And I'm really concerned that he will become even more militarized against um, the native protesters um, who are defending their water. Yeah. Um, so these are all really good, like, good starting points for a lot of people. Uh, I also wanted to talk about kind of the failings of campaigns, like campaigns this year. And... Um, kind of what we can all do collectively to do better when we're out there on the ground in the next year, or even or even this spring, when we, if people are doing municipal elections, which I know I will be doing. Um, one thing is that for Midwestern progressive organizations, we still don't make our messaging or our causes intersectional. Um, so we don't have our candidates going to inter like to diverse events because they don't see it as a winning strategy for other parts of. Uh, their um, their district. Another thing is we don't have oppo memos on our own candidates or causes, which is I think critical for canvassers who are new or like your canvassers to really do a good job of communicating why they're there uh, to who again the person on the door. Um, I'm trying to think of what else like really came out of this. Oh, there's something really valuable about being there and like showing up. And as if you. Even if you want to get involved, like, loosely, make a commitment. Like, make a commitment to doing something once a week or once a month because that's 
loyalty shows, and it pays off even if your candidate or cause loses. You know you can walk away from that and know that you put 110% of yourself into it, mm-hmm. which is really valuable. And that's, like, actually helping me cope a lot, even though most of my candidates lost. It's like I, like, spent this energy and time because I knew them and I cared about them and I valued their platform. And I, I don't know, like, I could, I knew that I gave everything. And... I can walk away with minimal guilt. Right. And there's so many people who have been posting about they could have done more, should have done more, right? Mm -hmm. And the best way to avoid that feeling is to by actually (laughs) doing doing something, right? Like, it's don't post about it. (laughs) Like, I think Collier Girlfriend was, they were chatting about, like, don't post about your white guilt. Like, don't, we're not sorry for you. <laughs> like, yeah. do something. Yeah. And, uh, oh, this is also, like, with the intersectional comment, um, I like how we don't treat our candidates as positive intersectionally. We also don't treat the way that we find voters intersectionally. Um, mm-hmm. So the Democrats, for the most part, do something called NGP ban. And they have a list of voters, um, a lot of people, usually from, you know, the primaries, that's how they find them. And... They have their information in this database, and then they create lists that people will go and knock doors with. But the, the people in there are not like well categorized. There aren't like, enough. There's not enough emphasis on race, religion, age. Um, if they're not like names that sound familiar, and for instance, my family was in the is in the van, but we're listed as Caucasian, which is crazy. And my dad is in there. I said, which is crazy, and... And my dad is there, and my dad's not a citizen. Like, there's no way he could have voted. So why is he in this, why is he in this death space? <laughs> yeah, so uh, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, but also, like, how we knock doors. Like, why are we only knocking the people who you know vote for us? Because we're not building a base. And we're not, like, actually going back and um, reaffirming that these people should be in our base or listening to their issues because issues change. Um, and I think that's one of the big reasons that we weren't able to get the, like, a lot of the white folks or the rural vote. Or, like, even in a certain race, I'm thinking of, like, the minority folks. Mm-hmm. We didn't reach back out to them, and we forgot that, and not we, that campaign. We forgot that, like, while the, the candidate cares about intersectionality and diversity, the campaign didn't. And that's something that is really important and why, like, can, uh, campaign teams need to be diverse. Right. So it's like if you're a person of color, get in as a volunteer and work your way up because that matters and it has an impact that you're there representing and also checking uh, what is otherwise seen as like a white dominated space. And we were talking about this, like, you know how far it would go if you we started entering other spheres of organizing, like particularly in Michigan when we were during the 08 campaign, like I was in Flint, so churches were a huge part of the organizing structure there and like were mobilized incredibly well and we need to do that with other communities as well for the south asian community i'm like i'm thinking about what if you did volunteer coordinator trainings at a mandir or gurdwara or mosque more often i'm sure they're happening in some places because there's something really powerful about as you were saying having someone look like you running a training and teaching you how to 
you know, talk on the phone or knock on a door. And I think if we do it that way, a lot of people in our communities would feel more comfortable. To the point you were saying about how we target voters, I really like the idea of knocking on every door because even if someone is not registered to vote or like cannot vote at this juncture, it's quite possible they know someone who does vote, right? I think. Yeah, no, I was actually going to jump in really quickly. And apparently, I had no idea, which is bizarre because I know a lot about voting, right? But in Missouri, if you're a felon and you served your time and served like your parole, if you get off parole, if you serve all of your time legally dealt to you, you can apply to vote again. Yeah. And I had no idea. Yeah. And there's no like organized effort to find those voters and re register them. And I think that a way that you can combat that is going into like knocking on every door. And like especially and unfortunately this is how it works in a lot of countries about low income neighborhoods where uh, recidivism might exist instead of, like engaging with them, being like, Hey, this is a way for you to like participate in the democracy again. Yeah, and a lot of people just don't know that. I mean, for a lot of people who haven't been incarcerated, we don't do a very good job of saying that their thoughts and opinions and are valuable. I, I don't really have much more to say on that front. It's just it's like it kind of infuriates me that for like the broader like capital D Democratic Party, thinking about incarcerated individuals is not popular because there's a lot to do with race and class and yep. all of yep. these other things. And I think there's gonna yep. it's gonna take some serious like inner reflection among like the wider party mechanisms to combat to combat that and actually truly engage with populations who would otherwise be really interested in what is being said. For sure. So um, I'm going to wrap up because I think we're going to start forwarding pretty soon. But I think it's a good start in talking about how we can be productive. Um, and also, like, you, you know me or Nina personally, or you can hit us up on our Twitter handles, please do. We're more than happy to have conversations about what's next. That sounds good. Have a safe flight, Sheila. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. While Western governments stay bombers, I'm happy that the great and peace-loving, justice-loving people of these countries, they stand in solidarity with us. A special thank you to Michael Duan Singh of the Shadow Notes for composing the music that you heard in this episode. You can find us on Twitter at Almira Radio. You can find Sheila at Queen of Blah. And you can find me, Nina, at Only Nina.